Dear friends, let's please look to Luke chapter 9. We'll be in verses 24 through 27 this morning. Let's read Luke 9 in verses 24 through 27 this morning. And Jesus says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is an absolutely fantastic series of verses that we have before us here. Verses that are often read during times of sharing the gospel with other people. This great question that is asked by Jesus in this passage. What does it profit a man If he were to gain the whole world, gain the entirety of the wealth in the world, what would it profit a man if he attained for himself the totality of all that has been created, but he lost himself? He lost his very soul. We see two very important themes within this passage, two very important points Keys that are often overlooked in conversations of evangelism within this culture. Conversations that that can be difficult. Things that that aren't popular. That that go against the the many narratives that exist in our day of self-help. There is a recognition here in coming to the cross, in coming to see the goodness of the gospel, that the gospel can even be good news. There must be this recognition of your terrible situation, your terrible circumstance. There is the necessity of self-denial. As Jesus even said in the previous verse, in verse 23, that you must deny yourself, carry your cross And Luke emphasizes that by saying daily. So this isn't just something, well, you'll go out in a whirlwind at the end and give your life up for Jesus. The emphasis here is is a regular, ongoing self-denial in carrying your cross. There is a necessity of self-denial in the life of the Christian when they come to faith in Jesus Christ and in an ongoing way in the Christian life. Secondly, we see the danger, the terrible, the terrifying, the awful danger of being ashamed of Jesus, of looking at the comforts of the world and finding them to be more precious than the greatness of the grace that is offered in Christ Jesus. Seeing the allure of the world as being more attractive 
than the beauty of Christ. May it not be, dear friends, may it not be with you, dear friends, but it is a question that each and every one of us must ask himself. Have I been changed? Have I denied myself and gone through that narrow gate? Is that you, dear friends? Are you on the broad path that leads to destruction? Or have you entered through that narrow gate that leads to life? That gate that the warning is even given, that it is easier, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And here all of us stand. So easy is it for us to look and say, well, you know, Bill Gates, he's really rich. That's a very rich man. Well, certainly by comparison to you, perhaps he is rich. In worldly means, certainly. But compare yourself to those within the world. Compare yourself to those that have existed in history prior to now. Look at the comforts and accommodations and the wealth and the resources that you have that in the past many kings, rulers of empires did not have at their disposal. Let's be honest, dear friends. You, you walk into your kitchen nowadays and you have a, a series of electronic servants on your behalf. You're able to do things in, in just a just moments. Maybe you feel like, well, that took me a long time, 30 minutes. But you used all of this machinery that allowed you to do it in such an efficient way that would have required many hours or a team of people to work with you. Oh, the ways that we are blessed. Oh, the ways in which even these blessings can be a distraction from that which is most important, that, that which is primary, that which must be primary. Oh, may the good things of this life, may, may the blessings of the Lord not be a distraction from Christ. And that, is, that is idolatry at the most simple level when anything becomes more attractive to you than the Lord. When what Jesus has brought into existence has a greater allure than the one that brought those things into existence. That is idolatry, worshiping and serving the creation rather than the creator. Well, these two aspects that Jesus calls all people to call into question, to, to think about here, to recognize, number one, the necessity of self-denial. It is required. It is required. And secondly, the danger the woeful danger of being ashamed of Jesus. Let's look at that first point, the necessity of self-denial. We see this in verses 24 and 25 in the ninth chapter of Luke. Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. 
What is gained in a life lived for self? What is gained in a life of attainment, a life of seeking merely your own comforts and pleasures and desires? Telling yourself, well, well, tomorrow I will be a holy man. Tomorrow I will set aside time for the Lord. Tomorrow I will prioritize true religion. What is gained in such a life? What is gained by one who gains more and more and more? And they die. Many of you have had relatives die. You know what happens. Almost immediately the question is, what do we do with all of their belongings? Immediately there's an apartment that needs to be cleaned out. There are possessions that need to be distributed. Family comes through and takes some items. Other items maybe get passed on in an estate sale. Other items go into a garage sale. Other items end up getting donated to Salvation Army. Other items get up, end up getting thrown in the trash. None of it goes with them. You can see the great emperors of the past. You can see the great kings, the pharaohs, the rulers. You can find them buried in their tombs. Maybe you saw the uh, movies, uh, Indiana Jones, those came out when I was, I was younger. And he, was, he would go on these expeditions. They'd go into these tombs and there would be all of this wealth. There'd even be traps in these tombs. I don't know if that's true, but there would be in the movie. Even this, this man going into his death was still trying to cling to his possessions, setting these traps to take the life of anyone that would even take it after his death. Is that not a picture of man and his fallenness? Man and him just trying to grasp onto the world even after he is dead. The decomposed body is there. There's just bones some of these tombs, you can go into like Charlemagne's tomb, at least this is what it said. He was sitting on a throne with his crown on, all of his wealth around him. He was dead. He wasn't there. One story even says that he had the, the gospel opened and it, his, his, his finger was pointed to this, this very verse. What, what do you gain if you have the whole world? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What benefit is it? What benefit is it to to cling to the dust of this world? To be one that just clings to that which you can not take with you? Rather than looking at the blessings the Lord gives to you in your life and saying, how can I use these to glorify the Lord? This is not saying that you cannot have any wealth. You cannot have any power. You cannot not, not seek to get an education. I'm not trying to lead a bunch of you to sell your possessions and run with me onto a hill and just hope that the Lord will return. It's not what I'm encouraging you to do but to consider how it is you use what the Lord gives to you. How it is that it is, it is being utilized in your life to use what the Lord gives you, to use the blessing the Lord gives to you in a way that is, has eternal significance, 
has eternal value. And you're using such possessions, such power, such influence at that time with an eternal purpose. For the purpose of glorifying God, it has eternal significance. But to live for yourself, but to just cling to the dust of this world, is to have nothing. This is a, what we call a chiasm. That's where you, you have kind of a, a structure where you have similarities at the beginning and the end of the, the series of statements. And this is a very simple one. Um, one, one that we've used before is when, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That is a chiasm. By the way, it's not in the Bible. But it's a simple chiasm that you're familiar with, that, that, that you've heard before. And so you have this idea that when the going gets tough, all right, the tough get going. And you have this, this pattern flowing through it. And here we have this pattern of save, lose, lose, and then save. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And then whoever loses his life will save it. This is somewhat of a paradox. It's something that when you hear it the first time, you have to think about it. Well, what exactly does this mean? Psalm 119 and 25 says this, says, my soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. It is, it is out of the dust, dear friends, that, that we were made. Out of the dust that we were brought into existence in our first father, Adam. One that was brought to life, one who was created from that which existed previously. So much else was created from nothing. And Adam was created out of the, the creation. It's from this dust that we're derived and to that dust that we are going to return. And apart from the Lord, apart from the work of the Lord, there is absolutely no hope whatsoever. To save your life, you must lose it. To save your life, you must see your hopelessness in your current state. You must see the reality that you have broken the law of God. And the law of God is not just something that Genghis Khan broke. It's not just something that Mao Zedong broke. It's not just something that someone on the other side of the political aisle is doing that you don't really like. There are very, very moral people in hell. There are people that are very sophisticated in their religion. There are religious people that are spending eternity in hell. Remember, it was religious leaders that were, that were bringing Jesus before the Roman leaders and saying that he should be crucified. Religion that is godless. Religion that does not require self-denial. Religion that just justifies itself by comparing itself with other people. is no true religion. It, it's of no true benefit for there is no self-denial. Remember this reality that among the sins that are listed there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first of those is lovers of self. Let's look at that, 2 Timothy 3, 3, 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, 
arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's a significant list. That's a serious list. And the first sin list there is lovers of self. We must be cautious because in the evangelical church, in this culture, not just here, it is something that has been an issue in times, times past. You see that even in the book of Revelation. In, in Revelation chapter 3, as the Lord is speaking to the church in Laodicea, and they have so drank the waters of the culture around them. And they are so like the culture around them. And they are a people that think so highly of themselves because of their wealth and their banking system. They think so highly of themselves because of their fashion industry. And they, they had these, these great, um, basically, black goats. They had this very fine... Um, they, this very fine fur that they used to make some of their garments. And it was, it was highly respected in the area. And they were highly respected for their, their, uh, their medicines that they have. And the Lord told them that they were blind, that they were naked, and that they were poor. They, this church was rich in the things of the world. But they were poor in the things of godliness. We must be cautious, for we will take these idols of the culture, and we will, we will baptize them. It will creep its way into the church, and Jesus just becomes a means to our end. Jesus just becomes the means where I get a better marriage, I get obedient kids, I get a better career, I get all of the things that the culture around me desires and wants. Be cautious that looking to the Lord as though he is, he is this genie that's coming out to grant us our wishes, that we can in some way, so all of man's religion does this, almost all of it, is, is, is a desire to, to basically appease God or, or to, to cause God to act on your behalf. I can do these particular actions and get this response from God. These religions have no, no self-denial apart from self-denial. Apart from a recognition of your fallen state and the seriousness of your state, there is no grace. That is a danger there. Pastor Fry talked about this during Sunday school today. This, 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 this re- reality that's taught to us by G.K. Beale, this idea that we become what we, we worship. And these idols that you can find in this culture that will waste away over time. You can find these things that these emperors have placed in their tombs at their death and some of them are decomposing. J.C. Ryle makes this point. He says, a crucified Savior will never be content with a self-indulgent people. No self-denial, no real grace, no cross, no crown. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. 
whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the picture of the narrow gate. That's the gate that you must come through. You must recognize that the hopes that I have in this world, my desire even to make myself right before God through my own religious actions are, are worthless. You must find yourself to be hopeless in your natural state. This is, this is not something that many times will, will sell a lot of books in the self-help section of the bookstore. But pursuing the world, clinging to the world, loving the world cannot give to you what only Jesus can give you. A pursuit of the world can never provide for you what it was never intended to provide for you. There is one Messiah that has been given. It is Jesus Christ. There is one child of the woman that has been given that will crush the head of the serpent. There is one who will come back and make all things new. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It will never satisfy in the life to come. It will never satisfy even in this life. The chasing after the things of the world will merely make you desire more and more of them. There is no end. The world cannot be your Christ. It doesn't matter what's in front of you at the moment. It doesn't matter if it's the car, the career, the financial standing, a certain level of influence, a certain amount of power, whatever it is that is becoming an idol in your life, to merely achieve that, merely make you lust after something else after that. Christ must be sufficient. The Christian, you must be willing to lose all for Christ. You must be willing to, to deny yourself. So many, so, so many in the past, so many Christians have given so much, have had to give so much. And we struggle merely to be inconvenienced. We, we struggle even when, when someone doesn't quite speak of us the way we want to. We struggle when we have political figures that aren't communicating things the way we most desire them to. For so many centuries, the church has been so opposed, has been so contrary to whatever culture that they are in, and the Lord has used that, has grown them, has strengthened their faith, has blessed them and sanctified them, even in that, to remind them even as possessions go, even as relationships are removed, even as the stresses of persecution begin to grow within a culture, it is a reminder for those Christians of where their hope is. It is a reminder that their home is not here, that they are looking forward, as so many in the past had, looking forward to that home the Lord is preparing, that, that new Jerusalem, that place in glory. J.C. Ryle makes this point. He says, the possession of the whole world and all that it contains would never make a person happy. Its pleasures are false and deceptive. Its, its riches, rank, and honors have no power to satisfy the heart. So long as we do not have them, they glitter and they sparkle and they seem desirable. The moment that we have them, we find that they are empty bubbles and cannot make us content. 
And worst of all, when we possess all of the world's good things that we could possibly desire, we cannot keep them. Death enters and separates us from our property forever. Naked we came into the world, and we will leave it naked. But what about your soul, dear friends? What will you exchange for your soul? Consider even the cost of following Christ in this life. Consider even the the stresses and the difficulties that you may experience in following Christ in this life. Consider even great losses, loss of job, loss of possessions, loss of life even. All of these losses, as great as they may even be, are but for a moment. They're but for a moment of time. When you consider that in light of eternity, and you consider the losing of the soul, that fleeting idol that is here in this life, that clinging to this possession, that pleasure, in light of turning to Christ, it is but a moment in light of an eternity under the wrath and the curse of God. Consider the man in Luke chapter 12, just a couple chapters away. It says this beginning in verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice no consideration of the Lord there. No no thankfulness to God. These possessions I have here but for my own pleasure, but for my own use, for my own purpose. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's not something you want to hear from the Lord. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. Where is your treasure? What could be greater than the loss of your soul? What could be greater than to stand in opposition to your creator all of your life and then to die in your sin and to stand in opposition to the Lord for all of eternity? That is the picture that is given when we see this gnashing of teeth in hell. They're still at enmity with the Lord. There's still anger and hatred toward the Lord. People have chosen to stand in opposition to the Lord. What could be more costly? Do you not see the the, the greatness of this exchange that, that you are exchanging here? In your current lust... In your current desire for that which is only of this world, you are exchanging that for an eternity in right standing with the Lord. 
Instead of being blessed with Christ, adopted into the family of God, you're choosing to stand in opposition to the Lord. You're choosing to stand in an alliance against the Lord. If you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, the Bible says that you are a child of the devil. You may not hear that many times. That's, that's, a, that, that's a offensive statement to make. There's many things that Jesus has said as we've gone through Luke that are very offensive. But that is one that is stated oftentimes. It's stated many times in the scriptures. You're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You were born into this world in an alliance with Satan. You were born into this world at enmity with God. What do you gain by clinging to this world that you cannot hold and denying Christ, turning away from Christ? Jim Elliott says this. This quote could apply in many different ways. But he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Oh, the blessings of denying oneself, seeing your sins, seeing your hopelessness, and turning to the only means that God has given to see I, I have broken the law of God. I am a sinful person. I am hopeless in my own efforts. My greatest efforts fall woefully short. My greatest efforts are like filthy rags. And that's what we, we're seeking to, to bring to the Lord. Oh, oh look at these, these sinful actions that I've done. Look at these tainted actions. I'm merely just trying to bribe you even for through this. Imagine that. Imagine going into a courtroom trying to bribe the judge with a, with a box of filthy rags. Here you go. This should take care of the fine. You're in even greater trouble in trying to bribe the judge, not only for bribing the judge, but because you try to bribe the judge with such a terrible bribe. It's an offensive bribe. There is one means the Lord has given to your friends whereby you can be saved. It is through Christ alone. You must deny yourself. You must see your sin. You must repent from it. You must turn from your way and turn to Christ. Christ has done two things. Christ came. Christ at his death took upon himself the consequences of the wrath of God. That which the Bible says is over your head prior to believing in Christ. The last verse in John 3, those who do not believe on the Son, the wrath of God is over them. That is a reality. That is, that is your existence. Whether you realize it or not, that is your existence. Jesus took that upon himself for all who would believe upon him. It will not fall upon you. Don't believe the false religions that say, well, you, you have to do these actions and then you won't face God's wrath and purgatory. No. Romans 5, at the very beginning, it says, those who are in Christ have peace with God. There is peace with God. Christ has purchased that. For those who are in Christ, there is nothing else to add. You can't add to Christ's righteousness. You would defile it if you seek to add to it. The only thing that has been said, we've said this before, the only thing 
that we have brought to our salvation is the sin that needed it necessary. That's all that we have contributed. That's all that we have added. The sin that even made it necessary. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God, and Jesus also kept the law in every way. He has purchased for his people eternal life. He has purchased for his people the blessing of perfect obedience to the law of God. If you will but come to Christ and believe upon him, you will be saved. He will save you. It is not the greatness even of your faith. It is the greatness of the object of your faith. It is the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the necessity of self-denial. But on the other side of that, we see the danger of being ashamed of Jesus. The danger of being ashamed of Jesus. Look at verse 26. It says, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Can you imagine being one the Lord Jesus Christ is, is ashamed of? Do you profess not Christ in this life? Christ will profess not your name at your death. He will not be your advocate when you stand before the Lord, when you stand there at the judgment seat. He will not be an advocate for you. He will not stand on your behalf. People have all kinds of ideas. They, they tell themselves, I'll stand before the Lord, and I'm going to tell him that my parents did this, and my life was this way, and if only this wasn't that way. I'm going to tell the Lord that, well, there just wasn't enough proof. I looked out there, there wasn't enough proof. Meanwhile, the man has been breathing the air the Lord's given to him, eating the food the Lord's given to him, been operating under a a sense of morality but had no basis for it. The world's just continuing to go in an orderly fashion all around him. You will do no such thing. Every knee will bow. Every, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That is a promise. That is a guarantee. But it is so crucial to you, dear friends, when it is that confession takes place. Does such a confession take place as it did this morning in the waters of baptism? Or does such a confession take place when you stand before the Lord after living a selfish life to oneself. So crucial when this happens. The fruit of self-denial is a true confession of Jesus Christ, a true profession of Jesus Christ. The absence of self-denial, what Jesus said we must have in the previous verse, will result in one being ashamed of Jesus. In this temptation to deny Jesus, to deny the the commands of God that we see very clearly in the scriptures, which have been confessed by the church throughout the history of the church. There is a temptation growing day after day within this culture to deny even these commands that the Lord gives. There's a cost. There is a growing cost within this culture, and it may grow even, even greater. We don't know. There's also this other side, which I think is, is very important to see. We talked about this a couple sermons ago. There's this 
denying Christ in the heart while confessing him with your words. Denying Jesus in your heart. Denying Jesus in your actions, but confessing him with your words. Remember the many world religions that we walk through. It was incredible. I, I, was, I was shocked when I began to, to walk through that study that week. I think the, the sermon might have been called The, the Greatest Question or, or something like that. Who do you say I am? That was the question that Jesus was asking. The disciples. What do the people say about me? Well, what do you say about me? And I looked through many of the religions in the world, and it was, it was just fantastic that so many religions want to claim Jesus Islam wants to claim Jesus. Mormonism wants to claim Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses want to claim Jesus. I found Hindus that want to claim Jesus. Buddhists that want to claim Jesus. The Baha'i religion wants to claim Jesus. Everyone wants to claim Jesus. Meanwhile, these religions profess things about Jesus that are not true. They will give all these compliments. They will say so many nice things about Jesus, but they fall short of who he actually is. Their profession is too low of Jesus and too high of themselves. Every one of these religions gives you, for the most part, gives you a pathway. This is how you make yourself right with God, by doing these particular actions, by following these particular religious commands, ceremonies, and actions. You make yourself right with God, and Christianity is the one that says you can't. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's where you begin in the Christian religion. You begin by seeing that you are insufficient and there's nothing that you can do. One I didn't mention is the, the New Age movement. and it's, I'm not going to go into the details of it because it's, it's incredibly varied. But you see this emphasis and even some that claim to be Christians have taken in these ideas and you see this overwhelming emphasis on self, self-help, self-growth, just going after the Lord to improve this part of my life or, or that part of my life. And Pastor Fry gave this, this warning in Sunday school today that there is a danger. Paul says you put off and you put on. You, you put off this sin here. You just go to an AA meeting, some meeting like, I'm just going to put off this particular action. You're not putting on Christ. Satan, I believe, is more than happy just to input another sin there. You can continue trusting in self and trade this sin for that sin. Such religion allows people to stay content with their enmity against God, allows people to stay content in their sin because they have varied levels of sin. There's these serious sins over here that I really hate, but there's these other ones over here that I'm going to say, well, you know, a lot of people do this, or it's, is it really that bad? Is it really that serious? And you can see, I'm going to name a couple names here, so I don't, but you can see on, on a show like the, the Oprah Winfrey show, when you can see someone who has stood in such great opposition to biblical Christianity as one who has just derided biblical Christians, just, just spoken so negatively of what the Bible clearly, clearly says. And you will see her bring people on like Joel Osteen or, or T.D. Jake. She will see even Oprah being there at, at Lakewood Church and being introduced and everyone clapping and, 
and celebrating. So there's a profession here of Christianity. There's a desire, as I said with these other world religions, that there's a desire to claim Jesus. There's a desire there of those in this New Age movement to, to claim Jesus, but it's their own version of, of Jesus. There's a lot that Jesus says that they've got to either dismiss or, or reinterpret or say that, well, that's, you know, it's all been changed. So there's this group that got together at the Council of Nicaea and they, they changed all of the books. There's no such basis for that, no such truth in history to go and grab something like the Gospel of Thomas that was clearly not written at the time of the other scriptures in the first century, to go and cling to such a, a Gnostic, almost ties into some of these New Age ideas in this, in this so-called Gospel of Thomas. Deny these very clear teachings that are here. These are people that, that hate true religion. These are people that you can find. They, they've invited Christians on the show and they will deride them because they're not professing the view on human sexuality that the culture is demanding that you accept at this time. They are ashamed of Jesus. There may be a profession from such people. There may be a profession from liberal Christians that deny the virgin birth and deny that Jesus is fully God and fully man, deny the necessity of atonement, deny the necessity of imputed righteousness, deny these very important, crucial doctrines. Although they profess to believe in Jesus, although they, they say the word Jesus, they say the name Jesus, they are ashamed of Jesus. They are denying Jesus. And you must be mindful of this because there are those in our culture that will just encourage you. They, they, will, they will try to woo you with emotion. They will try to woo you with the distractions of this day that we have in, in media. They will woo you with lights and smoke. They will woo you with, with a service that never has one still moment. That you are constantly entertained at every single moment. The prayers exist merely so the, the, the entertainment team can get up there and get back in their place. So there is no still moment. The, the instruments can't even stop playing sometimes during the prayers. Those that are professing to follow Christ, those that are professing with their mouth to follow Jesus, but denying him in what he says and what is true about him, are being ashamed of who Christ is. And Jesus says here, whoever is ashamed of me and my words... There are words that Jesus says that are despised by these religious leaders that desire to claim him, by these new agers that desire to claim him, by these various religions that desire to claim him. There are words of Jesus, namely, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, 
It doesn't matter if the Baha'i religion says there's all these different roads to God. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it must go beyond mere syllables coming out of your mouth. This is beyond just saying the name of Jesus as though there's, there's a magical power in just blurting out noise, blurting out syllables. You must believe. You must believe in who Jesus is. You must not deny Jesus in who he is or in what he has said. There's no room for self-denial in these false religions. They make a claim for Christ. But they deny the words of Jesus. They deny the true Jesus. And you will hear people say, you can read, I've read passages from the Bible to people, and they will say, oh, not my Jesus. Well, the God that I worship would never do that. Well, that is your problem, dear friend. I know you don't worship a God like that. It is evident in the way in which you're living your life. It is evident in in what you are saying. The God that they're professing does not exist. The Jesus they're professing is not the Jesus from the scriptures. There's no room to die to self in man-made religion. There is no room to confess Jesus with your mouth and deny him in your heart and in your actions. What kind of person are you? Where are you, dear friend? Is your profession of Christ that which is there only when the things are going well? Are you like those who John says believed? John chapter 8, we see these people who believed, but I'd say not really. John 8, beginning in verse 31, says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Look at the offense already. There's a problem with me? You're saying I'm a slave? I'm a child of Abraham. How can you say that I'm a slave? Oh, but the scriptures say the one who sins is a, a slave to sin. Old Testament prophets say the soul that sins shall die. This is not a new theme in the scriptures. But John says these are people who believed. It wasn't a true belief. There wasn't a true repentance amongst this people that said they believed. They did not recognize their problem. They did not see their need of Jesus. They wanted a Jesus who would come in and make things better for them in their life. They wanted a Jesus who would come in, a Messiah that would come in and overthrow the Romans to grant them power over their lives. You may say, well, how do I know? How do you know that they didn't really believe? Look at the end of the chapter, verses 58 and 59. You could read the dialogue going through it and overwhelmingly see they didn't truly believe in Jesus. But look at verses 58 and 59 of John 8. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That is a declaration there of his deity. He is claiming to be God. He is using the words that God said to Moses at the burning bush. You tell them, I am sent you. 
Look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Do you truly believe that these are people who had faith in Jesus? Claiming to believe him at one point and seeking to murder him at another? Does that look like the fruit of repentance? Does that sound like the fruit of faith? No, that that sounds like the desires of the flesh that are against the spirit. We see that in Galatians 5. We see this contrast of those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit, and they are distinct. They, they are separate. There is a work that God will do in you if you are in him. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul says this. He says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. But now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a change that happens in the life of those who have come to faith in Christ Jesus. The Lord has changed Your outlook has changed your understanding. You have seen the greatness of your sin and you have turned to Christ Jesus. And you're not walking in obedience. You're not trying to follow the law of God so that you can attain a salvation, so that you can make yourself right before God. You are doing these things because of what God has done in you. You are saved by grace and through faith. If you are in fact saved, but you're not saved because you claim that you have faith. You're not saved because you you believe that you have faith. You must actually possess this faith. You are saved by the object of your faith, trusting in the true Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith will be preceded by and followed by repentance. There is this idea of repentance. It is metanoia. It is first and foremost a change of mindset, a recognition of a recognition, there is a denial that happens there of yourself and recognizing I am insufficient. If you do not repent, if you do not have this change of mindset and it will follow an action, you do not have faith. If you do not continue to repent, if you're not someone who has actually been changed, it means you do not have faith. Remember what J.C. Ryle said. He says, you will not participate in the exaltation of Jesus if you have not participated in his humiliation. Like he said earlier, there is no crown without a cross. You must deny yourself and take up your cross. You must deny yourself and take up your cross. 
John MacArthur makes this point. He says, the good news of Jesus preaches the truth that God offers forgiveness of all sin and the gift of eternal life to those who genuinely follow him in faith. It calls for a total abandonment of self. You must not trust in yourself for your hope. You must not follow a religious practice that merely seeks to add to what Jesus has already done. Paul says this in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is the hope of all who are in Christ. That that is the hope of all who have denied themselves and are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the work of God in the lives of those people is God bringing his kingdom forward, working through the hearts of the people. We see this in conclusion here in verse 27 of John 9. Jesus says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And there's many that like to focus on this verse and try to find the fall of Jerusalem was certainly what he's talking about here. And I think that's, that's a little short-sighted. We see overwhelming the kingdom of God coming forward will happen ultimately at one point and in a finality at one point. This is, he's not talking about the finality of this, but rather that they will see the kingdom of God coming forward. And they see that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ the power that happens even there in the following work of the Holy Spirit and and the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth at this time. Not finalized, but they're seeing it. This will be finalized when Jesus returns. Jesus will come back. That is the hope of the Christian. He will come back. He will make all things new. But, But do not claim to be in Christ and refuse to deny yourself. Do not claim to be a Christian and be one who has not recognized your sin in your own hopelessness. See your hopelessness in and of yourself. Do not be ashamed of Jesus, dear friends. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Christ has for you that which is greater than anyone can take from you. The wealth of Christ is greater than the totality of the wealth of this world. The poorest person in the kingdom of God is wealthier than the richest man in the kingdom of man. Believe that, dear friends. Believe that, dear friends. Believe that in times of ease and times of comfort. Believe that in times of difficulty. You must believe that at both times. You'll see the reality, friends. See this world as what it is. It is fading. Use what God gives you by his grace and for his glory, for his good purpose. Be a good steward of what he gives to you. But cling to the possessions you have. Cling to the relationships that you have. Cling to your power, your health, and your wealth with an open hand, willing to let it go. If the Lord calls you to let it go, for he has a reward for you that is greater than anything you can lose within this life.
Praise be to God for Christ. Praise be to God for Christ, our victor, our ruler, who has made all things right and will make all things right. Christ, the one who has delivered his people. Turn to Christ, dear friends. Turn to Christ and have true hope, true salvation, true contentment in this life and in the life to come.